0: Parents knew what I knew, they would do things differently. You have the right to feel safe at all times.
1: We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today, the Noongar Wadandi Mort. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging.
2: Scratch the surface, and everyone has a story. Welcome, Kaya, to the Wisdom
1: of Women. Our guest today is passionate about keeping our kids safe after a career that saw her frontline investigating child abuse cases. What Christy Mavie saw and heard made her realise that parents don't have enough education and knowledge to protect their kids.
2: Christy, welcome. Um, Gee, it must have been pretty tough knowing the extent of child abuse scenarios and just how far widespread it is out in the community. Yeah. Yeah. Reflecting back on all this, how, how does it all sit with you?
0: Mm, uh Well, it sits with me uh, not very well because even though I know what I know, everyone else doesn't know what I know. So, um, you know, I've spent 10 years in the police, you know, I was a specialist child interviewer. So I sat with children across a table like this, asking them, asking them questions about the worst days and the worst incidences of their short lives and hearing their stories. And when I spoke to the parents and the grandparents and the carers of these children, I just kept realizing that, people don't talk about this stuff enough and we're not sharing this information or we're not sharing these stories because it's been such a taboo and shameful subject mm. and we need to really uh, shine a light on it. Otherwise, it's never going to get any better uh, mm. You know, and so that's what I'm wanting to do. I want to shine a light on this subject because thankfully I'm not a victim or survivor of child sexual abuse. So I can speak out for those kids and those people who can't and that, that's what I'm doing now.
2: Let's talk about, you know, way back before... You came in. How did you get into this?
0: How did I get into yeah. this? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's an interesting story. <laughs> so when my daughter was nine months old, I saw an ad in the paper for the West Australian Police saying, we want women. Uh, it was, went along that, something along those lines. And we want women and, uh, you know, there's uh, flexible working arrangements, blah, blah, blah. And I, my daughter was only nine months old and I was like, oh, I can do that. Yeah. Now, I'm five foot one. <laughs> I'm not a tall woman. <laughs> and I, had, uh, I worked in administration. I, I didn't finish high school. Um, I was kicked out of home at 15. So I don't know where the, the gumption or the, the, the drive was to become mm. a police officer, but I think it came from becoming a mother. Um, and so my daughter was nine months old. I said to my husband, who is my high school sweetheart, I said, I'm going (laughs) to, yes and no, (laughs) I said, yeah, I'm going to do this. And he said, oh, okay. Um, He was always, let me just go off on any tangent or anywhere.
2: Can can I just say having a child nine months old, like most mothers are pretty, you know, knee deep in nappies, (laughs) lost sleep, um, crying, whatever it might be like that. Sounds pretty intense to me. I don't you. know
0: where that that drive came from. And even looking back, I'm like, I have no idea. But I'm pretty sure it set me on a path that I never really envisioned. You know, I didn't envision that. And so then uh, it took me nearly 18 months to uh, get fit enough uh, to, um, you know, actually get on that, on that pathway and then apply. And then I got in during the uh, global financial crisis. My first day as a police officer was the 25th of January, 2010. My My daughter hadn't even turned two yet. And so, yeah, so that started my my journey. And then uh, I, after the academy, six months in the academy where my husband worked away, I was with my six month, uh, my two year old at that stage. You know, he was away for six months and I got a transfer to Karatha where he was working. So I went straight to regional WA. Uh, working out of Karatha and I was there for four years. And in that time, whilst I was working in Karatha they asked for volunteers to go and become specialist child interviewers. And I was looking for a a way to do more because I I realised when I went into the police, I just love helping people. Mm. I love and I thought that the police was the way I could give back. You know, I've always had that drive to help. Um, You know, just a side note, one of my friends said to me, you were always going to be a police officer. And I was mm. like, no, how did you? No way. I never thought it. And she goes, Christy, you used to fly across that quadrangle if there was bullies bullying someone and oh. and basically stick up for the
2: underdog okay. so every you're time. P- you were policing at school this time.
0: <laughs> you yeah. there. Yep, yep. And my brother said the same thing. He's like, remember when you told that teacher off for bullying me at school and I was in the playground, you know, looking up the, at this teacher. I was like, no, 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 no. Mm. don't tell my brother off. Anyway, so that's how, um, you know, they saw or I didn't yeah. Uh, but
2: yeah so I put my hand up to become a specialist child interviewer and um, yeah. so Karatha must have been an interesting environment to yes. be in yes uh, that's a few years ago uh,
0: 2010 um, to, two, to 2014
2: yeah yeah, yeah. okay um, so you know northern parts of WA have you yeah. know all, all the issues that remote regions yeah. do have small small
0: communities yeah. yeah a lack of facilities lack of education um, you know some very broad ranges of socioeconomic issues yeah. um but i also grew up in port hedland so it actually yeah. felt like going home yeah, because okay. it was back in the red dirt and the spin effects
2: and you get to know the people
0: yeah you do and you do get to know the people and you get to know the uh as a police officer especially you get to know the same people yeah. <laughs> um yes. yeah so yeah i put my hand up to become a specialist child interviewer and and uh went on that training which was for uh, four weeks and so I had to leave my daughter at home with my husband and mm-hmm. went down to Perth because it's obviously 1600 kilometers mm-hmm. and uh got that training and from day one I just had my blinkers blown away and I even uh like I, I'm, I'm not a survivor of of childhood sexual abuse but I thought I was a wise and, and quite, you know, world wisely person, but I had no idea street savvy, but I had no idea what we were dealing with. And I remember, you know, bringing my husband in a panic going, Oh my God, how are we going to keep our kids safe? Mm.
2: Um, and so it's that confronting, it's almost like all the, all the protection that you you thought.
0: Yeah. I thought I was, I was making, you know, and I was making safe. I was a protective parent. Right. But, um, I just didn't realise how bad it was. Mm. And, um, and having a three-year-old at that stage, it was so confronting because young children are the most vulnerable children. They can't speak up. They can't do anything for themselves. They can't yeah. help themselves. They can't get help usually. So the idea of my three-year-old baby girl at the time being abused by someone who would be close to them, because ninety over ninety percent of all child abuse is done by someone known to them. Child sexual abuse.
2: That's a frightening statistic, is not?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then you know the other statistic is that one in three girls and one in six boys will be a, a victim of child sexual abuse by the time they reach eighteen. One in
1: three and one in six boys. Yeah.
0: We always think it's the girls. I know. So those statistics Mm. like slap you in the face, but the reality is, is once you start talking to children and hearing their stories and hearing what happens to them, just breaks your heart. And um, yeah, so I, I just from that moment forward changed everything I did about protective parenting and parenting my own daughter. But obviously, you know, didn't realize the the what I was doing in the background was creating this. Uh, encyclopedia of knowledge so to mm. speak for myself but for other people and um, yeah I've, I went on to do that for nearly nine years um, as a specialist child interviewer I actually interviewed in uh, in Bunbury as well when I was here but what led me from there is that as a as a junior constable um, and a det- and a, a police officer I just was you know doing these things like interviewing these children and getting their evidence and then you know and then I was like oh, I really want to be in that seat interviewing that we we call them crooks right we I wanted to be interviewing the crook I didn't want to be handing it over to the detective's office saying hey you know here's your I was never I was always determined to be a detective I think yeah
2: um so you you felt like you wanted to continue that process yeah you'd started the journey with the child or children yeah and to continue yeah to be there to be their protector yeah yeah
0: yeah and I mean look I did other jobs in between like I I spent time doing uh, you know youth justice type stuff or or um, prolific offending where children and young people or even adults were you know doing burglaries, mo- um, stealing cars, stealing that sort of thing and, and I was involved in that but even that has some level of child abuse attached to it or some level of trauma attached to it yeah. you know people aren't inherently de- um, evil no. you know and you know what I'm learning now is that so much of what people's stories are, are uh, contribute to how they react and act and how they behave. And that's why we see so much um, you know, of that. Of, of people, you know, acting out as they get older or children
2: acting out. As you say, it can usually be traced back to some sense of trauma, an event yep. um, yeah, th- yep. that has happened within their lives. behaviour.
0: Yep. Or, and, you know, and, intergenerational uh, intergenerational. Yeah, there's so many parts to it and I have no answers to any of them but mm-hmm. I just know that if, for me, if we could just... Slow down and and change those statistics and just move that needle a little bit from you know that one in three and one in six. If we mm. can move that needle, we would have such a different. Uh, you know, we don't have the uh, structures and the and the help in place for people now. Yeah. If we can move that needle so that there is no adverse effects, they're not being affected by child abuse or child mm. sexual abuse, then maybe we'll have less trauma and less uh you know burden on society for those people or they they won't be burned by that pain and maybe can be better yeah. more contributing people to society
2: how, how different is it all do you think from when you first started going into this area as opposed to what you saw emerging after mm. 10 plus years because i imagine you've got technology yeah and then the crooks yeah finding new ways, yeah. cleverer ways. Yeah, and we've, very much so. Yeah. How, how does that all uh, play out with
0: you? Well, when I first started talking to kids, you know, if a child uh, presented with, say, harmful sexualized behaviours, which is um, when a child is uh, either hurting themselves sexually or hurting someone else sexually um, or they're, uh, you know, they're being, you know, showing ways that they might be showing sexual behaviours, basically, you know, it could be uh, not... Uh, you know, flashing themselves or masturbating in public or, or masturbating around other children or touching another child. That's what uh, is considered harmful sexualized behaviours. And um, when I first started in the job, we always thought that if a child showed those sorts of behaviours, it was because they had been a victim of some form of abuse mm. uh, and that was our go-to. You know, we would look at the family, we would look at the history, we would interview the kids. But now what we're seeing, or well, towards the end of my career and more so now, is that children who are uh, displaying harmful sexualised behaviours probably have been either groomed online or have been um, had access to pornography. Because most wow. children have um, right. the average age of a child seeing porn for the first time now is eight years old. Yeah. See, that's just
2: absurd. No, that, that
1: the, I would, yes. I'm horrified. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So yeah. so when a child's seeing pornography, which is not made for children's eyes, it's not. not made for a children child audience, they don't understand it, but they know that they've seen it. And it can be quite... Um, It can be quite insidious. It sits in the back of their mind. We have children who uh, are unable to sleep once they've seen it. You know, they they Mm. keep replaying that over and over in their mind.
2: They Um, simply don't have the ability to to contextualise or anything with pornography.
0: No, and then, you know, um, then you might have a child that will try that on another child because they've seen something. Um, And the thing is is that um, all of these things, even if it happens, can be actually mitigated and... Uh, and the the risk reduced if we are talking about it with yeah. our children. Okay. but because parents and um you know we're not talking about it, yeah. we're leaving our children open.
2: And parents are not aware how easily accessible yes, this kind of um, yep. video um, yep. is. Well they're embedded simple... in
0: children fo- it's, they're, they're embedded in simple videos on YouTube kids and YouTube you know in children's videos and they're embedded in mm-hmm. you know just a pop a click up, you know a pop- up on a on a a, a game that children might be. So when you like.
2: talk about embedded, they'll be like the the flash that will come up yeah. or
0: or they would like that a part of it will look like Peppa Pig and then they'll have like a part of porn in there and so kids think they're watching Peppa Pig or parents think, oh yeah, they're in front of the TV they're watching or yep. in front of their device watching Peppa Pig, and they don't know that there's like a porn video embedded in inside you know into the video. No. So you know, no. and these. I don't understand the, the minds behind the people who do this, but they're there and they're doing it. So, and I, I don't get bogged down with the why of why people do harm kids and why they do this. I get bogged down with, well, how are we going to stop it? How are we going yeah. to protect our kids? How are we going to reduce the harm to children? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's pretty much um, so changed are, a lot.
2: <laughs> our authorities, are we getting cleverer as well with, with how yeah. we can grab these people?
0: yeah but also you know with the technology changes like you were like you asked you know since the start when i started facebook was in in its infancy yeah. we didn't have we didn't have snapchat and we didn't have instagram and we didn't have all of these other uh, you know private messaging apps and so what's happened since i joined and since i've left is that the technology's gotten e- easier for predators to prey on children yeah. and um they have, uh, they're, they're smarter than us. They've, they've got more, like, what, what I mean is, is that smarter than us meaning police, uh, parents, not police. Police mm. are there behind the scenes working, working, working to try and keep up. Mm. But they, their sole purpose is to abuse children. They don't, they're not there to, you know, they don't give a shit about our kids. No. And when we hand a device or, a, a, you know, a phone to our children, we're basically giving the predators a key to their bedroom.
1: Wow. And all right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. so so what do you what are the things that you're saying to parents? What are the things that parents need to understand and know? The basics of what need to be done? Because mm-hmm. most children have a phone by.
0: Yeah. You know. Six or seven, yeah. eight. Yeah. I mean, all children. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know, I like to remind parents that I made all the mistakes. You know, when I my daughter's, you know, fifteen now, I definitely uh, made mistakes in my journey. I gave her a device at three. I didn't spend a lot of time supervising or monitoring her device. Or, you know, I thought I'd had it locked down until she came to me at ten and said, "Oh, mum, I've uh, seen something I didn't like, and it was porn." Yeah. You know, and we've had that conversation. You know, luckily before that at 8 we'd had a conversation around sex because someone was talking about it at school
2: right so
0: you know we she felt safe to come to me and tell me these things that's good
2: yeah all right so again what you're talking about getting back to open communication yep. start talking with your children as early as at, possible a, a, in an appropriate way depending on their yep. age yep. about that Perfectly. so that they feel comfortable to come to you if as you say something pops up yep. on on
0: Yeah. So since leaving the police, I did some uh, about three years or just under of talking to kids and and presenting to students at schools about cyber safety and online safety. Mm -hmm. And one of the things kids would come to me after the presentation, because there I am talking nicely to them saying, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not you know, it's okay if you've made mistakes. It's okay if you don't. Didn't know, and then something's happened, and they would come and disclose to me that you know they'd been groomed, or because no one had told them what grooming was, or yeah. what what these predators you do to 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 lure these kids in. So uh, they would come to me and disclose, and I would say it's okay, you know, it's all right, you're okay. Like you know, have you told anyone? Have you told your parents? And, you know, kids love to share their stories, right? And they would, uh, you know, I'd have lines of them trying to tell me stories, not just about grooming but, you know, about their, you know, maybe cyberbullying or their experiences, Mm. right? Yeah. But you'd get a kid who'd come up and say, yeah, I've been groomed and I shared a nude with someone that I shouldn't have and, yeah, whatever. And then, um, you know, I'd say, have you spoken to your parents? No. Why haven't you spoken with your parents? Because I'm scared and they will take my device Mm. off me. And they yeah. will punish me so the thing is is that what i want parents to know is is that we can't and this is a beautiful way to put it is we can't uh we can't fear someone into feeling safe we can't make them feel safe if we're going to make them feel mm. scared
1: yes, that's yep. really
0: so yep. if we're going to yell and, gro- and growl at our kids and and tell them off and punish them for for making mistakes because You know, the only difference between our generation and their generation is that we didn't have phones showing what we were doing. We didn't have phones recording everything. Mm. I mean, God thank thank God for that. Oh, can you
2: imagine? We went off to parties though, had a great time and Uh, dangerous situations that we could have
0: gotten in trouble for and um you know, but we didn't have anything recording that. And Mm. we didn't have anything where you know, we we only had to deal with the, the the local like our local or the, community
2: the more, or... Or the more immediate sort yeah. of effects, as suppose, as you say, to the something world. being photo or, or vision being available... Worldwide. Yeah. To mill billions
0: of people. But yeah. um, so I think the difference now is that we need to get off our high horse about, you know, you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that and, you you know, we need to remember that unless you've done the work to make sure your child doesn't know what to do, mm. then it's actually your fault.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's your sure. fault
0: your child's taking those risks. it's your fault because you haven't prepared them and and reduce the risk to them, the reduce yeah. the harm to them. Yeah.
1: Okay.
2: So provide a safe pathway for your child to discuss yeah. mm. very openly the issues that are coming up. That yeah. may come up yeah. without feeling like, as you say, they're going to be punished and, and mum or dad are going to take their phone off them or their iPad yeah. or, or whatever it might be.
0: And how I did that with my own daughter was, and this is, these are techniques I learned as a specialist child interviewer, you know, I used to uh, talk to her about stuff and say she's, let's think about what age she was, maybe nine or ten, and I would say, hey, you know, if any of your friends ever been asked for a nude photo online? you know while they're gaming has anyone because when i don't talk about her in personally yeah. and i'm i bring her friends into it it's no like kids love talking about their friends yeah. cuz if their friend their friends can get in trouble but they're not <laughs> you know so i used to say hey has any of your friends been asked for a foot pic because at one stage group a foot pred- pick. yeah so at one stage predators were using the request for feet pictures as a way to get kids to share nudes it was about 5 years ago wow
2: well, i was just going to ask you what are some of the most insidious or you know yeah, yeah terrible ways that you've seen them well, try right to get a look in
0: Right now is pretty bad for young men, um, teenage boys, because uh, we're seeing a massive, like a three hundred percent increase in online sextortion sex for young teenage boys and men um, from age twelve to twenty-four, where they are being approached by on online by a young someone of their age bracket, yeah. um, young woman or young girl, uh, who you know says, "Hey, uh, you know, like how you look, you know." Um. Yep. One and then we'll share a nude, right? Or share a video of themselves, um, and then immediately ask for one back. And unfortunately, our young men are the target because they are in a rush to grow to be wanted. They mm. they they're, they're looking for connections. They're looking for a, a way to feel wanted. That mm. somewhere in there, our young men are feeling very disconnected from themselves and from their peers and right. from what and. Quite often we don't talk to men about this stuff. We don't talk to our young boys. We no. think they're going to be okay.
2: No, so, we always preface to females, mm. I suppose, in that way, don't we? So
0: the young men are being targeted by these um, actual uh, uh, organised crime gangs over in uh, the... over organized over Yeah, organised crime gangs and they're basically mass uh, approaching young men and then once the young men... So it's a quid pro quo sort of thing. I, I've sent you photos, send me some photos back, mm. handsome... And then uh, they send off their dick pic or whatever, and then immediately afterwards they're extorted for money. So, give oh. if you don't pay me four hundred dollars, or if oh, you don't yeah. pay me this, if you don't pay me that. Wow. And the um, I was recently at a conference with um, Task Force Argos, who is the leaders in Australia about uh you know child online child exploitation, and from the moment a young man was contacted he was only 16 to the moment he took his own life was four hours oh, oh christy and yeah so might want to add some trigger warnings at the end start
2: yeah no no absolutely and look these are conversations as you say though that yep. need to be had because uh, the lack of communication and understanding and our children are losing their lives yeah our children are it. losing their lives i mean the, the
0: the young men are way more vocal about talking to at reporting than women. Um, it's really mm. interesting. We're seeing the increase in online child, uh, sorry, online sextortion of men, young men. And I had a young man, 21 year old man, who's a tradie. He's got an apprenticeship, and he was extorted. And I said to him, "Mate, what was the reason for that? Why did you feel that you needed to share a, a photo and a video with this person?" Mm. And he said, "I was lonely." Aww you know so our young people are lonely like we might be connected but they're not connected and my daughter says it pretty um Mm -hmm. bluntly all the time she said mum our generation's screwed because we don't we might be able to talk to each other online but we don't know how to talk to each other in people in in person and we don't know how to connect and she's 15 years old and that's how she feels because she can ask people to catch up and they'll make plans and then they and they cancel them straight away or like just before it happens and you know um we, uh, we regularly see mental health mm. professionals as a family, all of us, because, you know, I've uh, left the police with PTSD. But mm. I left the police with PTSD, so I'm very con- uh, aware about mental health and yeah. what we need to do to maintain it. Yeah. And she said her, you know, her counsellor, psychologist, said to her, unfortunately, you know, have you considered that your, your peers are maybe just anxious and they don't know how to actually be together anymore you know it in seems that environment to be,
1: it, i think we've talked about this haven't we said there's um this generation has a lot of anxiety mm. a lot of anxiety mm. like even answering phones or yep. making a phone call yep. or stepping out of the house yep and it's not it, it's across yeah all the ages and it's, it's it's like under 25 yeah yeah, yeah
0: I mean, look, I've seen a di- change, a huge change, because my, uh, my daughter was struggling with her mental health last year, so I took her out of school and she was homeschooled. It's just lucky that I could. If I was still in the police, could never have done that. So she's uh, stepped away from school for this year and next year we'll go back to year 11 and 12. But the difference in her, because she's then gone and got jobs and she's now interacting with people and, and stuff, you know, older people as well, I think young people, and I mean, I mean Sid might be able to help here, they are the most judgmental of each other than anyone else.
1: Do you large? agree? <clears throat> I'm scared of people my age. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. it's easier to, no, it's no, easier
0: no. to talk to, with people who aren't your own age when you're, a, a, you know, a teenager. Yeah, It's yeah, easier sure. to talk with older and younger because the people in your own year group are so judgmental.
1: And mm. I think that's
0: something. Has it I,
1: always been that way? It has, it?
0: but I think it's gotten worse because of social media yeah. because oh, everything so. we do yeah. is a magnified. We are, you know, Everything mm. we have and do online is magnified so yeah. they, they can easily pick on you.
1: Mm,
0: mm. And our kids oh. are anxious. My daughter's a beautiful musician, so scared to share her talent and she probably will never. Oh, Because she'll be torn down. Mm. She yeah. has been torn down. She's oh. a beautiful. She was a beautiful singer. She doesn't sing anymore. Oh, she play yeah. yeah. So you know it's really sad. And I mean that's it her is. journey. But
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. The kids are all on their journeys. Mm. And as you say though, to have that environment where they can feel safe, where they can start talking a little bit more and connecting, yeah, is is all helpful on the journey to yeah, claiming themselves back.
0: Yeah. And I think uh, giving your your kids that safe space at home. You know, I used to say to my daughter all the time. You know, when we were kids, we didn't have phones that could connect us with everyone 24-7, right? So Mm -hmm. you might be bullied at school, but when you went home, you had your... Hopefully, if you had a safe home, you had your safe space at home and you could just forget about the day, right? Now, they've got it 24-7, so, Mm. you know definitely getting back to device control like devices and things parents can do you know set up some boundaries around how much they can use it and restrict it even in teenage years you know if you set it up as young people that they will be happy to continue it as teenagers because it's so easy to get we are all addicted to our devices whether we like it or not yeah so you know that they're them even more so because they've got you know they haven't got their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed it's you know they're they're a lot of the time running from their primitive brain in the back you know so we need to make sure our kids have some boundaries and and rules and and just guidance where they have time away from their phones i still to this day much to my daughter's disgust (laughs) make her put her phone in the lounge room every night to be charged they need time
1: away from it don't have it in their
0: rooms that's a good one isn't it i I do that too
1: The, the last couple of days i've let my son have it just for something but most of the time it's when he goes to bed, he puts it by my bed for charging.
0: Ah, oh, really? <laughs> really? You only shouldn't because, have it in your bedroom. No, but only
1: because I, was like, I can't trust him. You know, uh, yeah, to be true. Put it in your bathroom or something. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't. Yeah, he'll be on it <laughs> um, chatting and, and stuff like that. And it's really interesting because I went to pick up his friend mm. and we go pull in and I'm like, go on Danny, how'd you get and he's like, oh, he's coming. It's like, oh, yeah, I forgot you've got phones. I said, no, get out of the car, <laughs> knock on the door, say hello to his mum and dad, and then he's like, okay. That's really old school. That's old, old school. That's old school. But, but how
2: interesting is that? Just that small little connection yeah. is, again, just completely lost yeah. because of our mobile devices. Yeah.
0: Well, even to the point where, uh, you know, when your parents used to send you, and you might not remember this, Sid, but when you remember when your parents um, used to send you to the shop or you'd yeah. have to go and buy something for them? Yeah. Like I remember my daughter a few years ago and, I mean, her anxiety was pretty bad at the time and it wasn't long after COVID. I was like, can you go – I was standing over here and she was st- – I said, can you go over to Baker's Delight and buy this? And she had a full-blown meltdown. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to talk to oh, anyone. Yes. Now, complete change of personality. She's matured. She's, you know, mm. gotten those skills. But if we don't help them – and this is a whole different yeah. story – but if we don't help them get those, um, those tools under their belt by the time they hit 18 mm. – they're behind the eight ball. Yeah,
1: so That's why
0: first jobs are so important. That's why Mm. getting out of their comfort zone is so important. Yeah. Um, And I think having a device and as parents we know how much trauma we went through with our parents. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about you guys but mine left me pretty traumatised. That uh, we were like trying to – to mitigate that trying to stop that trauma but we might have gone a bit too
2: far yeah (laughs) it's It's interesting isn't it the parameters and how some parents operate yeah and I know what I got Mm. as a mum as well Mm. oh but everyone else can do it Mm. and so you're constantly trying to get the barricades but if everyone else is doing it it's a battle
0: I know and do you know what my answer to that was I don't give a shit what anyone else is doing
1: Yeah, (laughs) there you go that's it (laughs) because
0: we're the parents yeah Full stop. The end. Uh, one of the complaints I used to have. Um, was, you know. Um, you know. You know. Everyone else is doing it. Um, yeah. you know. You don't let me do anything. I said. Uh, the necessity the necessities of life is all I have to provide. Uh, and I used to throw the criminal code at her, and she'd be like, Oh, oh I it. hate it. <laughs> um, you know. I just have to fo- provide shelter, food, water, schooling, education, and one on the top is love. And if you get all that, you don't need anything else. And Aww. she's like, she's she's like, oh, I hate you when you say that. And yeah, so I used to say that. I'm, I only have to provide the necessities of life, well, well, and you've wow. got it. Yeah. So there you go.
1: Yeah, I
0: got asked the question today. Are parents, you know, parents are accused of being helicopter parents? Mm. I think there's a fine line between being a helicopter parent and being a protective parent. Yeah, helicopter parents are the ones who don't allow children to. Um, to try things, who don't allow them to um, risk, you know, you know, take those take little risks, risks. Yeah. or you know, um, do things that will expand their mm. their abilities and their knowledge mm. and stuff like that. You know, don't be that parent because mm. those kids are, are absolute horrendous adults. Be the parent that allows their children to still ha- take risks, but. Uh, you know within reason with with safety precautions in place in case and I was uh, I always say to people you know like I had a a moment last year where or maybe it was when she was 13 where my daughter wanted to go to the beach with her friends and I was a bit worried I don't I I, you know being that I've worked in this area and I was like Mm. there's some people out there that are you know taking photos and videos of young girls and also, there was a one guy that was flashing at one stage wow. and, and I was like a bit worried. So what I did was, I, just like when I was in the police and I did scenario training where we practiced things, I just said, what would you do if? What would you do if an adult came up to you and he made you feel uncomfortable? What would you do now? You know, and I just practiced things with her or just talk those things with her so that if that situation, God forbid, hope it never happens, but if that situation ever happened to her, she knew exactly what to do. Because that means that it takes away the fear and it takes mm. away the it gives them a, a, an actual action step to take.
2: That's a great idea. That's a great tip. Yeah. run through the what if.
0: Yeah, you know what would you do if? What would you do if? And then and that's my favorite actual question for kids. What would you do if? Yeah. And I I've been asking that question since since she was three years old. You know mm. when I was teaching her protective behaviors. You know what would you do if someone wanted to look at your um look at your private parts. What would you do if someone asked you to touch theirs? What would you do if someone sent you a nude? What would you do if uh, someone asked you for a nude? What would you do if someone came and uh, tried to take you when you were at the shops and mum wasn't nearby? What would you do? What would you do? And that was all I've ever asked her and I think that's a great question for parents.
2: It almost, I think, empowers a child to an extent because they can know that there are options and that they have a little bit of power.
0: Yeah, and that's how you take away the fear. Yeah. And that's how you and that's how you get them to take risks, with uh, without yeah. that fear. Yeah. Yeah. So that they are they're empowered and ready. Mm.
1: Yeah. Mm. I heard, I've heard that um, pedophiles in yes. particular don't particularly like using the correct terms for anatomy. Yes. And if a child knows to say, yes. "That's my penis." Yep. Um, correct. They they mm. they they don't like it, and it's it's more of a turn off, and they. Yeah. Rather than you can touch my PP pee pee or whatever
0: yeah is that is yeah that... that's, that's correct. Um, child sex offenders in a rule don't like confident children. so right. the more confident your child is in their safety rights and their body safety rights, you know mm-hmm. you know the first thing I taught my daughter was you have the right to feel safe at all times. That is a a, 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 a right that no one can take away you know this is actually a right that everyone has man woman child is the right to feel safe mm. it doesn't matter if you're at school it doesn't matter if you're at home it doesn't matter if you're in trouble with your parents you should you have the right to feel safe mm. and the second part to that is is you have you can always talk to someone mm. so those are the two parts that to that to start with because we want children to understand that they can come to someone and tell them but the sad fact of the matter is is that only one so for a child to uh, this is the average a child has to disclose their ch- child sexual abuse three times to three adults before the someone will do something. Wow. And that's an average. Oh. So most children will go to a person and try and tell them, and they might be pushed to side or told that they you know they've got it wrong or don't talk like that or whatever reason that someone hasn't taught to- you know believed them or they haven't been able to complete the disclosure, but they it's on average three people and a lot of children will give up on the first
2: god how sad is that
0: so one of the things that we um, promote or people in my industry promote is resilience we need to remind children to keep telling someone Mm. keep telling the next safe adult or the next person you know because not everyone's a safe adult and so Mm. keep telling the adults that and a safe adult is someone that will listen to them and help them stop it help stop whatever's making them feel unsafe and, Mm. and feel scared or hurt Yeah, okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah, wow. The statistics that you're talking about along here are just mind-blowing and very sad. Very, yeah. Yeah. I can understand why after so many years you would have walked away with post-traumatic stress.
0: Yeah, yeah. It was, was, uh, I guess, um, some of the reasons for that is because there's vicarious trauma. When you're listening to... uh, story after story after story of, of children who are so vulnerable and so precious and don't deserve to have what happened mm-hmm. happen to them, that is going to leave its mark and, mm-hmm. it, and it, it just builds up and adds. And, you know, I think the, the probably the best part of all of this is that, uh, you know, I was aware of it, I was, seeked help and then I said, nah, enough's enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was actually my daughter who was just about to turn 12 at the time who said, Mum, you're not my mum anymore, can you oh. please leave? and I and I listened straight away yeah. whereas some people in the in uniform some people who are still in the job don't have that courage or they're indoctrinated to believe that they don't have the skills to leave right. that they and I knew because I had a life before policing you know mm. I was 28 when I joined 29. Um, I had a life before it and I knew that I could do anything when I left. Yeah. It was just that as I was leaving and I, I found my notebook the other day and in July 2019 I started writing notes about my what to write in my book mm-hmm. and I was writing things and I was I hadn't even thought to leave yet. I just thought kept thinking I need to tell people what I know. I need parents to know mm-hmm. what I know so I started writing notes and then when I left it I,
1: I wrote a book about it. So you eventually were a detective yes. and you sat in front of these crooks.
0: Yes. Yeah, how that, hard that must have been. That I'm a why person, so I want to know the why behind everything and mm-hmm. I didn't realize I was such a why person until I left the job. So I actually um, I actually enjoyed getting to the bottom of some of the stories Mm. but you know I used to chase every rabbit down every hole Um, I couldn't help myself I was really that could
2: have been some really deep holes too yeah it was
0: very hard because generally when you start moving dirt or shit in their case you find other victims so quite often I would uh, you know investigate someone or uh, investigate one child's um, you know evidence and then I would find a multitude of victims because uh, you know I can't even remember the the statistic on that one but most child sex offenders don't have one victim they have multiples and you know it's and so when you start turning
1: it up and you start searching you generally find some more so you must have had a lot of i just assume that police would have a lot of training and keeping calm
0: (laughs) yeah um it's interesting um yeah i i was really good at it i think towards the end um I didn't, I actually had a moment this morning where I was reflecting before I started this, well, came to meet you guys and I was like, my motto in the police was fake it till you make it. (laughs) That was my motto because, and interestingly, and you know, not something I share very often, but I felt like a fraud all through my police career. I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't, under, but I was determined to fake it till I made it. And so when I had to stand in front of, you know, a, lead a search warrant or lead an uh, interview against someone, I would fake it till I made it. And so I do have a good um, poker face. Mm. Not so good once the camera's off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd be losing it out the back.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's interesting, though, you talk about that imposter syndrome because mm. it's a discussion that we have had that women, yep. a lot of women, do carry. And as you say, even though they have incredible experience, knowledge and skills yep. in a set field, yep. they often still feel like they don't still, yeah, mm. quite measure up.
0: No, and I, that was my whole career and even now I still go, oh, I can't believe I did that. Mm. You know, it feels unreal. But, but if, here you are, you've written here a book. I, am. I wrote a book and and going back to your question, Joe, about sitting across the table from uh, of offenders, mm. um, I you know, they never tell the truth.
1: No. They oh. never,
0: they never, I've had one in 10 years admit to his abuse. Really? Sorry, I lie, one and a half. <laughs> the half okay? The half was a guy who half admitted some of it and wouldn't admit to the rest. Mm-hmm. And he made an excuse that, um, you know, he was... Uh, abused and so he then went on to abuse which is actually a lie for most it is um, well most uh child sex offenders will say that to make themselves more human Mm. because it's such an it's such a disgusting uh, offence it's so disgusting what they do and a lot of them lie to themselves thinking that it you know they tell themselves a world of lies Children will enjoy it. Um, it was done to them, so it can't be harmful. I had we had a um, Anglican priest say that. Oh well, it was done to me. I didn't do them any harm. Mm. Um, you know, all of those sorts of things. They tell themselves so many lies to do what they want to do to children. What it comes down to is, is that they don't care about children. They mm. just care about themselves. About themselves yeah. And um, but one of the interesting things I learned. And it doesn't get talked about very often. Is there's actually three different types of child sex offender. There's the pedophilic ones that are actually attracted to children. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who no love nor money can be reformed because they are attracted to children and they call themselves, or there's a subgroup of um, humans call themselves minor attracted people. And so they think that, you know, they want to be part of the LGBTQI plus are you community serious? because they believe that they should be, that they, there's nothing wrong with them, they're just attracted to minors. And they, and they would never do them harm. These are, yeah, so that's a, another conversation for another day. Yeah. Wow. But the other two types yeah. of child sex offenders are situational and, and um, situational are basically someone who's in a situation where they've lost control and power, It might, might have lost their job, might have lost their marriage, might, something's happened.
2: So they're triggered.
0: So they're triggered. They don't have the coping mechanisms in place or what, for whatever reason and then they will offend against a child. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, so situational uh, is that what I just said? Yeah, yeah situational. Yeah. Uh, opportunistic. So opportunistic are uh, child. They might be attracted to children, and but they they're the type of offenders that target young uh, single moms, or they target their cousins and nephews, yeah. or they target uh, because again they might be attracted to children or not, but they're um you know they have the opportunity to, mm-hmm. and so they will take it. So there, there's a lot to be done um, around that. But I saw those three when I was in the job.
1: It's really interesting because, you know, like a lot of women my age, I'm a true crime junkie. <laughs> and there's a lot, and I've noticed this when, say, a young teenage girl or a teenage girl mm. goes missing and blah, blah, blah. Mum's repartnered yep. whatever 99% of the time. It's them. It's that. It's that guy who yep. has.
0: Because he was opportunistic. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, mum was working that night. Oh, mm. mum was up early that day, and um, gone into the room. She either fought back or something happened, and mm-hmm. and it might have just been the first time they've done it, and they've been hinting, they've been looking. Oh, you look nice. Mm. You know, just yep. that disgusting thing, and um, and and this, it's been a lot, and I've just been noticing. Yeah. So that's your opportunistic.
0: Opportunistic. Yeah. They might. And generally, uh, I, and I'm generalising, so don't quote me on it, but, you know, I find that the opportunistic um, sex offender might might not be attracted to little kids. Yes. They're more attracted to your prepubescent pubescent child yeah. where that all of a sudden they're starting to um, develop and, and that's when they, they obviously notice that they're a female. Yes. You know, but then our pedophilic offenders, they have different age groups that they're actually attracted to. Some will be attracted to little children. Some will be attracted to that tween or prepubescent child you know very rarely they'll be attracted to that um teenage child because they fall yes. fall into
2: that other group but so as you say the subgroups yeah mm, subgroups yep. so and most
0: people don't i mean look this isn't a conversation for every day but no. i i do talk about it and um i do share it because you know what i see from parents and young and mums is and especially mums who are you know worried about their teens or worried about their partners mm. that's what comes up
2: yeah, it's a really valid conversation to be having, as you say. Not your normal every day, yeah. but, gee, is that, is that where we're missing the point with all this? Yeah, we
1: are. We should be having the conversation more.
2: Yeah, because how scared would predators be if
0: we did? Yeah. Like, yeah. if we were literally, like, calling them out? Yeah. Because how they have gotten away with thousands of years of abuse of, of young people, women, whatever, and boys, how they have gotten away with it is because it's been hidden. We didn't talk about it. No. Don't go near Uncle Joe, you know, he's a bit creepy. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't sit on granddad's lap or don't sit on this lap. Or now we're seeing, um, and unfortunately we're seeing a cross-section of female offenders now, but uh, that's, a again, another, whole other topic. Wow, okay. But getting back to what you're saying, it's about taking the power away from them. Taking the power away, yeah and talking about it and obviously I wrote a book with all of the stuff that I knew with hints uh, with basically advice and and how to talk about it with your kids and how to give them empower them like that what to
2: do if yeah what would you do if conversations and yeah yeah Yeah, fantastic okay so the book's out hopefully uh, (laughs) a lot of parents are out there Purchasing that baby and getting some it's really good tips. Operation Kid Safe. Yeah, it's Operation mm, yeah. Kids Safe, our
0: detective's guide to child abuse prevention, and it's now on Audible and Spotify as well. Right. Who, who reads it on
1: Audible? Me. Yeah. Oh. I did
0: it, yeah. That's a big job. It was a big job. <laughs> <laughs> it was three days. Oh, wow. And by the end of it, so the start of it, I'm all this calm and, you know, you can hear the flow of my voice and by the end of it, I feel like my voice was going.
1: It's
0: a raspy old... a bit, It was getting a bit more and I was talking faster. Yeah. <laughs> but it's um yeah i'm so glad that it's out on those because one of the things i do know that parents Mm. say to me all the time is i don't have time to read a book Mm. so i created an audible book or an audio book
2: you can can listen to it yeah is there one thing that you wish all parents were aware of and i know there's so much in this subject to condense it down to is there one thing in general terms that you just wish all parents would understand about protecting their children?
0: that uh, their children are at risk from someone in their own home or in their own family and that they need or, or someone known to them. You know, it could be unfortunately a sibling, it could be a cousin, it could be an uncle or auntie or it could be anyone in their family or in their close um, network. So it don't think it won't happen to your child because it can happen to your child, one in three, one in six, one in three girls, one in six boys. So we need to make sure that we are doing the work to ensure it doesn't happen it's our job it's our job to protect our kids yeah
2: it is our job isn't it yeah we've got to step up to the mark with it all don't we
1: yep mm. well thank you christy um we love a quote on the wisdom of women so what is a quote that you, you like to
0: i quote all the time if if parents knew what i knew they would do everything differently or they'd do things differently so that's what I. That's all that ran through my mind for for months and months after I left the police. If parents knew what I knew, they would do things differently.
1: And we kind of can know what you know because you've written this yeah. operation. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> and I'm that.
0: all over socials sharing it as well. Okay, yeah, Fantastic. I love it
1: because it's frightening to think there's stuff you know we don't know. Mm.
0: Yeah. I don't want people to know some of the stuff I know no. because I don't want you know. It's most people can't handle what what actually happens to young people and children, but. Uh, that's why I'm not going to share it. It takes a special person. Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and Christy, what about from your own personal background, your own journey? Mm-hmm. I love the way you talk about. You're a dashhound mum.
0: Yes, a new dashhound mum, by the way. Oh, congratulations! Yeah, she, he's my new baby, Duke. Oh. I know. I, I, my daughter's getting old enough, and she keeps um, telling me she's moving out when she's 18, and she, I won't. She won't. You know, when she. I don't know about your son, but my daughter has like likes to guilt me into believing that I have to do things with her now, otherwise time's running out she's never coming oh, this back is so, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so she's yeah. like I'll be out of your hair in three years so you know you need to spend time with me or you need to do this What's and that? you need to do th-. I'm like come on hurry up now
2: she's, <laughs> she's got it worked out she
0: has yeah she's got me wrapped around her finger but um so yes. as, a, as a
2: woman and your experiences and, and we've spoken earlier yep. about what you think women should yep. really hear and understand as well
0: yeah, I, I just think from my experience, I mean you talked about where well, you talked about my imposter syndrome that uh you're good enough exactly mm-hmm. as you are and that's something that it takes going through everything that I've been through to realise but you're good enough without the weight loss, without the accolades, without the husband or the partner, you know, you're good enough exactly the way you are. Mm-hmm. And um and to just uh un you know and and just understand that and just believe that because it doesn't you don't need all of that
2: to be who you are no you don't very true words i love it thank you christy
1: thank you sorry i'm losing my voice for some reason oh that's all right thank you so much for coming on now if you have been affected by any of the topics discussed in this conversation please visit the support links below as well as the links that we will provide for more show information and always remember every day you are remarkable